The second step, adolescence, an age of pushing and pulling from Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood by Dennis Rainey. Chapter 9, The Wilderness Years. Courage is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Winston Churchill. This was an invitation Winston Churchill could not resist. He was not one to back down from a fight. Just a year earlier, in 1933, the Oxford Union voted decisively to declare that this house will in no circumstance fight for king and country. To Churchill, this was cowardice, abject, squalid, and shameless. It was an insult to English manhood. Didn't they know what was happening in Germany? Didn't they know how much danger England was in? So when a group of Oxford students invited Churchill to speak, he accepted. 500 students showed up to hear one of the most famous men in the world. As a British officer, war correspondent, member of parliament, and head of numerous influential government ministries, Churchill had long remained in the public eye. He was a brilliant and eloquent speaker, the kind of man who spoke his mind even when he got in trouble for doing so. On this evening, Churchill was not among friends. When he blamed the German people for starting the Great War of 1914, plunging the whole world into ruins, the students expressed their disapproval. He urged them to support the rearmament of Great Britain and to his surprise, the students began laughing at him. The more he tried to speak, the louder they laughed. And eventually, he had to stop. Winston Churchill is such a legendary figure today that many people would be shocked to learn that there were times when he was ridiculed and ignored by his countrymen. The fact is, he faced many wilderness experiences during his long career in English politics. Perhaps the worst was during the 1930s when he was one of the few public figures who recognized the growing threat of Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. During these years, England was still recovering from the Great War when nearly a million English soldiers and civilians had died. The nation was horrified as details of the senseless slaughter began to emerge and many people became pacifists. They were determined to avoid another war at all costs. At the same time, the world was gripped in an economic depression. Many of the English were favorably impressed by what was happening in Germany, where a fiery politician named Adolf Hitler had put his people to work and given them vision and purpose. During these years, Churchill was a member of the House of Commons, but he had few allies and almost no real power. Over and over, he rose in the House chambers to warn about Nazi Germany's true goals and the danger of allowing it to build up its army and navy, but few British leaders listened to him. In a Moscow reception for a British delegation, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin 
ask about Churchill's political influence. Lady Nancy Astor, a member of Parliament, replied with scorn, Churchill? Oh, he's finished. Members of his own political party believed he was reactionary and unrealistic. Didn't Hitler say he wanted peace? In government offices, civil workers were warned that it was unpatriotic to refuse to believe in the sincerity of Germany. Churchill definitely had his faults. He was not always a skillful politician. He was bombastic and obstinate. This made it easier for his peers to ignore him. Isolated from influential circles, he fought depression, and he struggled to stay out of debt by writing articles and books. Even that was a battle. His warnings about Germany led one newspaper, owned by a prominent pacifist, to stop paying him for columns. During these years, one reporter wrote that Churchill just looked awful. If you knew he was a politician, you'd think he's washed out. He's had his chance, and now he's through. Yet Churchill never gave in to the pressure. He never stopped telling the truth, even when the nation didn't want to hear it. Perhaps he was heartened by the fact that only Hitler seemed to take him seriously. You could say it was Hitler who helped bring his foe back into power because the German dictator proved every one of Churchill's warnings to be accurate. With each act of German aggression, the English people began to wake from their slumber. When Germany invaded France in May of 1940 and the British Prime Minister resigned in disgrace, it became obvious that the new leader had to be the man who had recognized the danger from the beginning. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Appearing before the House of Commons on May 13th as the new prime minister, Winston Churchill summoned the same courage that had kept him in the fight during his years in the wilderness and he sought to fortify the British people for the war that lay ahead. You ask what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. Let that be realized. For years, no Churchill's speeches in the House have been no largely ignored. This time, he received a rousing ovation. Churchill saw evil coming and sounded the alarm. A lesser man would have yielded to the scorn of naysayers and gone quiet. But to a wise and prudent man, silence is not an option. Not when the lives of countrymen or loved ones are being threatened. Think for a moment. Do you remember what it was like to be a teenage boy? 
These years are a time of great vulnerability and danger for a young man. Peer pressure is unrelenting as he watches his friends choose to do things that he's not sure are right, but look like a lot of fun. Life has not yet taught him that everything is not as it appears. He doesn't know that today's foolishness will be tomorrow's shame. He hasn't learned that there's no such thing as nobody gets hurt. Yet while the teenage years are seeded with temptations and vulnerabilities, they can also be a time when courage is forged. A teenage boy can come out on the other side of adolescence as a man, not only in body, but also in soul, if this man in the making is trained by the right kind of man, a man like you, a man who recognizes the dangers in our culture and does his duty, like Churchill, despite the intense pressures he faces. The greatest pressures you will face as a father are your son's tendency to push back or resist your involvement and your temptation to pull out or disengage from his life. Pressure number one, the pushback. It's not easy to be involved in your son's life during his adolescent years. As he steps out of boyhood, he doesn't know how to become a man, and he has little experience of the lethal temptations he will confront. But his desire for independence will lead him to begin pushing you out of his life. He will probably become more withdrawn emotionally and may talk to you less than before. He will want to spend time with his peers instead of you. He'll argue with you and stiff-arm you. He'll probably think you are old-fashioned and clueless. And he'll act as though you embarrass him. He will think he knows more than you. Pressure number two, the pullout. What makes the teenage years exponentially perilous is that at the same time your son and his peers are pushing back, you'll see many fathers beginning to pull out of their son's lives. The exhaustion that comes at the end of the pressure-packed workday can result in passivity. Fathers rationalize. The easiest thing to do is to disengage. And that's exactly what they do. The antidote to the pushback and the pullout is to continue pressing in to your son's life. As a man, you must courageously step up and stay involved, wisely moving deeper into your son's life, even as you are pressured to step out of it. If you don't, you'll leave your son vulnerable, standing on the step of adolescence with too many choices surrounding him too many foolish voices influencing him, and too little maturity to make the right decisions. Without a man in his life to call him up to the next step of manhood, your son will camp out on the adolescent step as long as he can.